Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to a very special episode of Hollywood Week, the podcast. My name is Keenan Culler, and I am joined once again by the heart of Chicago, the almost doctor, and the guy who likes his women like he likes his apple cider piping hot. It's Cason Culler. <laughs> Cason, how you doing tonight? What's up, Keenan? Uh, I'm doing good. I am uh, kind of just enjoying the horror season of Halloween and enjoying the apple cider, like you said. So, I love the fall. It's honestly probably my favorite season. So, I'm enjoying uh, all the changes that come along with that. Case and fall is a beautiful time of year. Um, you get pumpkin spice latte. You get mm-hmm. to wear UGGs boots. Um, you get, <laughs> I don't know if all of us get to do that. You, you get to some of us do, dude. You get to rock some sick flannels. That's true. That's a big one. It's just nice, man. It's not the overbearing, oppressive heat of the summer, and it's not the Arctic chill of the winter. Yeah, dude. We have NFL football. We have uh, fall TV season. We're getting into Oscar season here with the movies, and then, of course, we have Halloween season, so lots of good stuff going on. Case and it's great. More importantly, it is great to be here recording with you. It's been a while. Last time, it, it, it's weird because yeah. it doesn't feel like it's been that long since we recorded our um, summer of dreams our Thor episode. episode. Right. <laughs> yeah, and that was what mid August, mid to late August. So, man, time yeah. flies when you're having fun, Kason. And uh, anyway, we're back. We're back and better than ever. This is the Hollywood Week podcast. Um, we are going to recap and review. All the great movies and all the great television shows we have watched the last couple months. And man, oh man, there's some good ones. (laughs) There really are. Well, hold on. There's some good ones, but there's also some straight stinkers, dude. And I can't wait to tear them apart with you as well. Yeah. Have there been... Well, we'll get into it. I was going to say, are there any... Is there anything that's that terrible? Oh, there is. There definitely is. And I drank a few Red Bulls before this episode just to get extra, (laughs) extra primed to to go fully (laughs) off on these guys. All right. Well, I'm excited about that. (laughs) Kaysen, anything else before we just dive right into it? I mean, obviously, we're going to mention the bread and butter. Don't think I'm going to forget that. But what's going on with you, man? You're an official doctor now. You're wearing the white coat. Um, I think you you carry a stethoscope and one of those things you look in people's ears with. I do not carry that. I do carry a stethoscope all the time around my neck. Um, I don't wear the white coat very much. That seems a little bit extra to me. I usually just kind of wear my scrubs and walk around like a, you know, regular regular dude but uh it's been good residency is super tiring um i usually only have one day off a week which is unfortunate but i'm getting the hang of it um pushing through and i feel like it's becoming more of a routine that i'm getting used to so not too bad and i'm of course making time to keep up with all the other stuff that i love doing so it's good hey man you're out there killing it not well not the best choice of words you know what i'm saying you're out there (laughs) hey you're out there i'm killing it not them you're out there killing the viruses (laughs) and saving the lives dude that's what we love that's right and and at night you moonlight as a podcaster yeah exactly exactly case and before we dive in bread and butter that's obviously the social media game it's been two and a half months but it's still going 
oh so strong, dude. We got the face. Well, no, no, I'm not going to talk about the Facebook group. What am I doing? We got the yeah, leave it to me. <laughs> we got the Instagram page at Hollywood underscore week. Get over there and follow us. You know what's going on. We got all the news. We got all the updates. I'm posting stories right and left, filling in the viewers, educating them. But Kason, why don't you talk about the real deal, the Facebook group? What's up? Man, Keenan, you know the real conversation is over on the Facebook group, Hollywood Week, a celebration of movies and television. If you're not on it, you gotta get over there right now. We're talking all about the Halloween season, we're talking about the horror movies you haven't seen, we're talking about House of the Dragon, it's all going on. Um, Go check it out if you are not yet a member. It's a wild ride over there, Kaysen. Uh, I should mention, too, I actually <laughs> thought about just doing, because, uh, you know, the past few years, we've done, like, Halloween-centric episodes and really kind of honed in and focused on yeah. the horror. But I don't know. It, it feels like this year, there's just been so much, I, mean, I'm sh- I should say this season, there's just been so much great stuff, especially in terms of television that have nothing to do with horror, that I, I think the recap episode is a better format, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I don't want to leave out all of the great TV that's been uh, going on lately. But before we even get into that, Keenan, I need to uh, bring up an important topic. Have you been listening to the new Taylor Swift album? Oh, wow. And I, if so, what are your thoughts? Here's the thing. I knew you were going to ask me about this, and I have fin- <laughs> I have not listened to the 3 a.m. version, okay? Ooh, but, okay. Bonus tracks. But I have listened to the uh, the full, I believe, 13-track album. Midnight. And yep. I'm liking it. I can't say I love okay. it. I can't say I love it, but I've said that about every one of Swifty's albums. I know this will grow on me. The combination of Swifty and Jack Antonoff as her producer is fire. I like the mm-hmm. mid-tempo vibes. You know I'm a mid-tempo guy. I like that. I like the harmonies, the melodies. Everything is on point. It's just only a few songs really grabbed me on first listen. And I know that'll change, but yeah. it, it's good. It's good, but I look forward to uh, bumping it more and maybe uh, bumping it up a notch to great. That's fair enough, man. I think uh, I it definitely kind of hit me the same way the first time I listened to it, but I do think it's one of those things where there aren't a ton of like really flashy or in-your-face songs like in some of her other albums, but I just think, you know, once you get the hang of what the vibe is of the album, it is so, so good, like lyrically and production-wise. Um, I just think she's really found a great lane for like what her music should sound like, and this is definitely top tier to me, but... Check it out. Kaysen, great pitch. I'm sure uh, Taylor Swift, who we know has listened to eight episodes of the show. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, from <laughs> from uh, just what she's told us. But I know she will be happy that you're out here um, promoting Midnight's in stores now. Um, sponsor of the show. So thank you, Taylor, and uh, all Swift. Thanks, Taylor. All Swift main. Is that what they're called? Swift Maniacs or, or uh, Swift? S- I have no idea. Okay. I thought they were just Swifties. That's true. Okay, Swifties. Get Swifty. Swifties unite, get Swifty, <laughs> and listen to the Hollywood Week podcast. Kaysen, here we go. Let's dive right into go. it. Too much filler so far, not enough killer. And we're going to start off. <laughs> oh, and hey, one thing With I, I want to pitch, dude, at the end of this, after we talk about all this stuff, we are going to talk about what is next for the podcast. We have something very exciting coming up, which you might have already guessed, Ooh. in mid-November. And we have a very special ranking episode that we are dropping in December and we will tell you all about that if you stick around. Cannot wait. That, that's a tease. It's going to be awesome. Here we go. Let's dive right <laughs> in. One of the biggest movies of the Halloween season, 
Um, <laughs> one, <laughs> but not really. What? Yeah, we're we're gonna talk about his box office uh, issues. But yeah. one of the biggest movies going into the Halloween season was the culmination, the conclusion of the new Jamie Lee Curtis Halloween trilogy. This dropped in 2018 with Halloween. Then last year, we got a chance to see Halloween Kills in theaters together. And go ahead and say the line. Uh, Evil dies tonight. That's exactly right. It did not die because there is a third and final film, which we have both (laughs) gotten a chance to watch. Very evil ends tonight. Very polarizing case. And a lot of people are throwing the tomatoes at this thing saying what in the absolute Sam hell is going on. (laughs) Michael Myers has arthritis and can barely walk. Who greenlit this? And that was said by me. So I think you kind of know where I'm going with this review. Uh, But we're going to talk about Halloween ends. We are not going to fully spoil the movie, but I do want to give a mild spoiler warning. So I think that's safe to say we can kind of go into the things that sucked ass with the movie, but not, (laughs) not just fully diving into like beat by beat. This is what happens. How does that sound? Sure. That sounds good to me, yeah. Perfect. Kaysen, I'm going to start off with you. You just watched Halloween Ends, a movie I was begging you to watch just so we could talk about it together. Give me your thoughts. What's going on with Jamie Lee's final appearance as Laurie Strode and maybe the final appearance of Michael Myers, at least for the the foreseeable future? Well, Keenan, first of all, I just want to say I blame you for putting me through this, uh, making me watch every single one of these movies. Uh, in the recent trilogy, continually thinking there was going to be a good one, but the first one is really about as good as it gets, I guess, because this was incredibly confusing, incredibly weird. Um, Michael Myers is not scary at all. In fact, it's almost just kind of like satisfying to watch him get pushed around and beat up in some weird way, even though it's doesn't make any sense in the context of the franchise. Um... It's really bizarre, dude, because I actually liked the opening scene of the movie. Yes. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool and interesting, like very different direction, very like still kind of scary, but like in a different way. Um, And then beyond that, it just felt like they were trying to make a completely different movie that had absolutely nothing to do with Michael Myers or Jamie Lee Curtis. And they were essentially just using that as like the shell of a different plot. And that plot was not bad. It just ended up being a bad hybrid of a movie that was trying to do too many different things and ultimately incredibly unsatisfying in terms of the Laurie Strode, Michael Myers uh, culmination showdown. So yeah, those are my thoughts. I mean, this is case and this is one of the most baffling and batshit crazy movies I have seen in recent memory. It is not good. I did not like it, but it did <laughs> it did leave me thinking about it because it was so yeah. weird and so off track that I couldn't believe it got greenlit. I just kept asking myself, how is this real? And I'm not even exaggerating. It's so off base from what you would expect from the conclusion of the Michael Myers saga and the Laurie Strode saga that you can't believe what you're watching. The story for most of its runtime is not about Laurie Strode and it is not and all. it is not about Michael Myers. I actually checked just because I was fascinated by how little Michael was in the movie. He does not appear until the 40 minute mark of the movie. And he doesn't kill anyone until I believe like the 57 or 58 minute mark. So 
you have this movie focused on this teenage character, this new character, who I think the idea is, and again, it's it's the textbook definition of I see what they were going for, but it sucks, and it's not the <laughs> appropriate time. It's not the right time. You don't introduce some weird stuff like this in the conclusion of a franchise. It's like, right. this is something you do if you're making, you know, part four and you you want to get a little out there and creative. Not in the yep. concluding chapter, dude. So the idea here is you have this very, like, you know, um, upstanding, moral teenage kid who passes on the beer, drinks chocolate milk instead, a real Boy <laughs> Scout type character. He gets involved in a series of events that we won't spoil that kind of, kind of leads him down a dark path. And you start asking yourself, is... Is someone born evil like Michael Myers or does their surroundings and the things in their life shape them and mold them into that evil? And I think that's the idea they were going for. Can anybody, anybody have something happen to them and become as dark and evil as Michael Myers? And that's kind of an interesting premise, but again, the execution was not that good. And to push Michael Myers into the background, not only pushing him into the background, but making him this brittle, pathetic, broken down man, it was just not what people want to see. You know, and and I think yeah, you can make agreed. the argument similar to Luke Skywalker in The Last Jedi. I had to do it. Like, oh, well, <laughs> this is an interesting detour because we were expecting this one thing, but they, they gave us this curveball. And it's like even more so in this movie than The Last Jedi. This is a popular, iconic horror franchise with a mindless killer that people just want to see slice and dice. You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't yeah. want this message-heavy BS of him living in a sewer and, you know, putting Ben Gay on his back because he can't move. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what yeah. is this, dude? Right from the jump, I'm like, oh, I don't like this. Michael should not be someone that you can push down like an old hobo. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and, yeah. And furthering that point, you know, the end of the movie, because of Michael's weakness— wasn't even that satisfying because when he fights Laurie Strode, it's like, this isn't even the real Michael. Yeah, totally. Um, it's disappointing, dude. I mean, I agree. I actually like the idea they had of like where they could go with this new character. I think it's interesting. I think some parts of it were like pretty well done, but it's just so half baked in this movie. Like it does not it doesn't feel satisfying, but like what ends up happening with the character, it feels really rushed and kind of like too aggressive. And then it also just feels totally sort of in opposition to the entire theme of the Halloween franchise. Kind of like you were saying, like Halloween is not about like evil being formed by its surroundings. Halloween is about a, you know, an unstoppable force <laughs> that was basically like that since childhood and is almost more of like an entity than a real man, you know? Yes, yes. And so this was just weird. Like, it felt like a different movie. Like, I, I don't, 
I don't know why they would decide to go against the grain of what the entire franchise has been up to this point. I also did not like the the very cliched uh, like voiceover narration from Jamie Lee as she's like writing her memoirs. <laughs> she's writing her book. It's just yeah. so like played out, been there, done that. Um, I will heap some praise on some of the shots and some of the kills yep. in this movie. Yep. I think those were still very solid, very strong. That's been consistent throughout the trilogy. There's one scene in particular that I want to get your thoughts on where a woman is sneaking around this house looking for her lover who is clearly in some pain because she hears him cry out. And as she's rounding this corner, we see in the background of the living room just the very faint outline of Michael just brutally stabbing this guy with her and she has her back turned so she doesn't see it in complete silence like there is no sound no audio but you see him ferociously murdering this guy it was a really like haunting shot to me yep uh that was really cool i agree with that i also think there is a scene involving like a radio host dj yes that is incredibly memorable very very creative um, kind of leaves lingering on a shot that's pretty memorable. And then I also think, I mean, not to get into spoilers, but obviously there does end up being a confrontation between Lori and Michael, because thankfully they don't, you know, totally withhold that. And I thought that was really satisfying too. Like it was just lame because there was nothing building up to it the entire rest of the movie. Right. But the way that they actually had that play out was like pretty cool and intense and like, you know, brutal. And I like that. Yeah, it was good. It was decent. I think, again, like you said, the fact there was no buildup and the fact that Michael was not at full power, it just kind of robbed it of some of some of its impact. But it wasn't terrible. It wasn't terrible. Um, it really is like literally the whole movie. No one's even really thinking or talking about Michael. And then at the end, he just happens to like stumble into the movie. <laughs> and it's like, oh, hey, this guy's around too. <laughs> hey, the final thing I want to say about this, I'm really glad you watched it. it. To me, it really feels like this trilogy um, needed to flip the first and final movie. Like it Agreed. almost seems like it would have been better received in a way if this was the movie in 2018 where Laurie Strode was not that traumatized by what happened when she was a teenager. And she was kind of like reflecting on it and very like at peace with it and all this stuff. And then this kind of rando thing happened that brought Michael back into the picture. And then you end the trilogy with the insanity. With her like holed up in a exactly. cabin setting up traps and yes, stuff. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I agree. But unfortunately, this is the equivalent of going in for a layup and crapping your pants while breaking your ankle. So Because then they could have even brought this kid into it somehow. Or they could have like built up an extra character or more if they really wanted to deal with that yep but um so overall halloween ends was halloween sucks and i don't like to say it but (laughs) it's true you can watch that right now in theaters or on peacock which is where you should watch it yeah uh jamie lee curtis did have some good moments i want to give a shout out like there were some cool laurie strode moments that i was like okay you know she still got it (laughs) it it, a little bit it it was i it was better than her being in the hospital bed in the previous film for two hours (laughs) yeah that's true i did kind of miss the rampant town people mob though yeah yeah i did miss evil dies tonight in the pitchforks um yeah moving on um i don't know i don't know if a film in our lifetime other than free guy with ryan reynolds which we talked about extensively (laughs) has ever been more promoted and more marketed than Dwayne the Rock Johnson's 
Black Adam, and that was a weird phrase I just said, but I said it. Um, <laughs> Black Adam has been promoted in hype for the last, I don't know, two years. Um, I feel like he hasn't stopped talking about it, so props to him. He's doing his job selling it. But we both got a chance to check out the latest DCEU film, Black Adam. And I'll toss it to you, as I always do. Why don't you give me your thoughts on Mr. Black Adam, what's going on? Did did <laughs> did Dwayne deliver, or does this movie suck like Transformers Two? It's weird, Keenan. I I really I don't want to say really. I did enjoy watching this movie quite a bit. I loved the action. I thought there were some really good comical moments. Um, but overall, it's just like I feel like we're still gauging these movies on a DC scale, like. It's good. It's entertaining, but the movie is still terrible. Like, I don't understand why they're just settling for this. I feel like fans kind of deserve better than this, but, you know, I'm not going to complain too much. I'm not that invested in DC, and to me, just going and sitting and eating some popcorn and watching something like this is entertaining enough, but there's just so many aspects of it that's just like, why? Like, why can we not just clean it up and make something genuinely good. I don't know, but it's entertaining. Yeah, I mean, I That's use this thought. comparison all the time, and I know it's getting stale, but this re- it really feels like they kind of look at the Fast and Furious franchise as like inspiration, where they're kind of like, yeah. look, people will eat up this big, dumb, entertaining content, so let's just give them that. And I think I, I completely agree with you. Black Adam was a really entertaining movie. I had a blast watching it. It was a great theater experience. There were multiple like fist pumping moments, but overall it's, yeah, it's not a good movie. The story is terrible. The dialogue <laughs> is terrible, but the thing is it's fun. And that's what we said about yeah. Aquaman and, uh, you know, I, I feel like it shares some DNA with something like Aquaman. You look at a movie like, uh, you know, Wonder Woman 1984, that movie is dumb as hell and not fun. (laughs) So at least this movie has the element of fun. And I will say the action sequences in this movie are visually awesome. And I think they save the movie. Yeah, there's some good one-liners, some good humor here and there, good characters. Like, that stuff is all pretty decent, but really it is the action set pieces and the the way that they keep coming one after the other that really, like, make this movie what it is. Mm Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I agree. I mean, I think we always talk about it in comparison to the MCU, but it's almost like we just have to accept that in DC, we're just not gonna get any, like, earned character moments You know, like pretty much the only thing that saves them is that they're entertaining. It's just not building characters in the same way that Marvel does where we're going to get these like emotional, awesome, you know, moments. Yeah, I mean, I I would agree with that, obviously, although... You know, a lot of the Marvel stuff, I mean, you're right, you're right, because really, like, even Black Adam as a character, I thought The Rock did a pretty good job. He kind of played him like a combination of Drax from Guardians of the Galaxy and the Terminator, 
where he was kind of yeah. this like very stoic, unstoppable force, but kind of had these moments of like lugheaded, you know, charm where you liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, so I like that. And I thought he did a pretty good job with it. I, I think he fits the role. It didn't seem like I, at first I was like, eh, is this going to be awkward to see the rock like being a superhero? But I thought it totally worked. He, he did a good job. Um, I also thought the supporting cast, all of the uh, Justice Society was really good, especially Pierce Brosnan as uh, Dr. Fate. Really yes. cool character. I feel like they did creatively stretch themselves with that character. And yeah, he is a carbon copy of Doctor Strange. Um, I'm not going to debate who existed first in the comics and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, yeah. But I thought they did a great job with that character. And really the whole team, the whole Justice Society team, they they were very like streamlined in the movie. There was no, like you said, I mean, you can look at that as a good thing or a bad thing. There was no like, uh, you know, time spent on really building them up. They were all just likable and there in the action. Yep. Yep. Uh, yeah, I like the hot guy too. I mean, I thought he had a great performance, honestly, for what he was. And he was a cool character. Yeah. I, and I don't think DC will ever get away from ending their movies. I mean, we always talk about the end of Marvel movies and how a lot of times they leave, they leave a lot to be desired. But man, oh man, DC loves bringing out Mortal Kombat characters for their final boss. <laughs> like, yep. Yep, yep. It, I mean, this movie, when I saw, so I saw this with our boy Ray K, Matthew Keller. And uh, when we saw this, dude, as soon as that demon guy shows up at the end, he leans over to me and he goes, oh, that looks like shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's pretty true. Uh, it's pretty true. Kason, one thing I we- think every DC movie ends with a beat up fest, like no one can actually be injured fight in the sky. Basically. Yeah, it's like, do you like uh, seeing like rocks? No, no pun intended. Do you like seeing rocks like <laughs> smash against each other? Here you go. Um, yeah, I mean that's that's one reason Aquaman was actually interesting is because like at least there were giant sea creatures battling with each other. My man. Hey, one thing that we have to talk about real quick before we move on is the absolutely horrific child actor in this movie and how oh, he gosh. was. You know, look, I I don't want to say the word cringe, but I'm going to say it. He was the definition of cringe. If you look up that word in the dictionary, it is this dumbass kid's face. He was terrible. He was, every time he was on screen, I was hoping, and I I feel bad saying this, that something catastrophic would happen to him. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. Like, there's a part where the statue is almost going to fall on his head, but you know Black Adam's going to save him. And I was like, oh, Black Adam, no, man. Like, just let it, let it happen. Just let it happen. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so shout out to the kid for uh, bringing the movie down tremendously. You did a you did a fantastic <laughs> job of sucking. Good job, buddy. Case, and we got to do something real quick. We don't have to spend a lot of time on this, but we dropped a definitive ranking episode of the DC Extended Universe, and I want to revisit that and kind of see where we would put Black Adam along with a couple other movies that we have not yet put into the ranking. How does that sound? That sounds good to me. I feel like I have a pretty good idea of where I want to go with these. Okay. The three movies that we have not yet put into the official Hollywood Week ranking are Black Adam, Wonder Woman 1984, and (laughs) James Gunn's The Suicide Squad from last year. So we're going to rank those three movies. As it stands right now, our ranking looks like this. Number one, well, let's start in the back. I like I like to be dramatic. In la- <laughs> in last place, number eight is Suicide Squad with my boy Jared Leto. I'm sorry, Jared. Number seven, <laughs> Man of Steel. We hate that movie. Number six, Justice League. Joss Whedon, creepy pervert. Number five, <laughs> Batman v Superman. Dawn of Jay. 
Number four, Birds of Prey. Better luck next time, Margot Robbie. Number three, the original Wonder Woman, Gal Gadot, we love you. Number two, Shazam, with an exclamation point. And the number one movie in the DC Extended Universe is our boy Momoa coming through with Aquaman. <laughs> let's go. Okay, so there it is. Um, Kason, let's start off with the obvious ones. I don't know if you agree with me. Um, I would really put Wonder Woman 1984 in dead last. Whoa, that is pretty dramatic. <laughs> I hate this movie. Even thinking about it, like it just brings up these angry feelings in me. And maybe the worst ending in a comic book movie I have ever seen in my life. I would, I think we should put it above Suicide Squad, dude. Come on. <sighs> you really think it's worse than Suicide Squad? It's close. I mean, n- not enough to where I would fight you on that. Okay. So let's do I would it. vote for number I would vote for number seven. I'm number fine eight. with that. I mean, look, Suicide Squad is terrible. Like obviously I'm not gonna deny that. Um Yeah. And I think I actually hate Suicide Squad more, like the more I think of like <laughs> that's one of those things when I saw it, I didn't hate it as much. Okay, yeah, but it's terrible. So Wonder Woman nineteen eighty four, you are second to last. I don't see that changing. Um Kason, where would you put James Gunn's The Suicide Squad from last year? We both really like that movie. Yeah, I would probably put this at number two. After Aquaman. I am right there. Shazam. I am right there with you. I am still giving Perfect. Momoa, and I know some people might be like, are you crazy? Yes, we are. I'm still <laughs> giving Momoa the uh, the upper hand because I had so much fun with that movie. James Wan crushed it. Um, yeah, I don't know why. I just really liked that. Like ever, the Nicole Kidman stuff, the ooh. like swimming to the center of the earth and coming up at that island. It was just so much crazy stuff. I don't know. It was, it was cool. Fun. It was a lot of, yeah, you're right. It was a lot of fun. So Suicide Squad, you get the number two spot. And Kason, where are we going to put Black Adam? This is maybe a little more interesting. This one's tougher. Keenan. if it was up to me, I would put it at number five right after Birds of Prey, but above Batman v Superman. And I actually feel like there's kind of a wide gap there for me. <laughs> so it kind of makes sense for it to go there, in my opinion. But I, what do you think? See, I had, I definitely had a better time. I'm in this close to the same boat as you. I would put it um, above Birds of Prey. So I would put Black Adam, you know, uh, in the number, what would it be, five slot and put Birds of Prey in the number six slot. But that's me. Okay, I'm fine with going with that too. They're pretty close to me, honestly. I feel like Birds of Prey is a little bit more like less dumb, <laughs> but Black Adam has has like crazier action. Black so Adam to me was just Adam. more entertaining. Birds of Prey was, pre- but yeah, I, I know what you mean. I, so anyway, okay, yeah, that, that's fine. That's, that's the fine. ranking. We agree, and I don't think we really care enough to argue. So um, <laughs> the, the definitive ranking of the DCEU now stands at number one, Aquaman. Number two, The Suicide Squad, James Gunn. Number three, Shazam. Number four, Wonder Woman. Number five, Black Adam. Number six, Birds of Prey. Number seven, Batman v Superman, Dawn of Justice. Number uh, eight, Justice League. Number nine, Man of Steel. Number 10, Wonder Woman 1984. And number 11, (laughs) Suicide Squad. What are we? Some kind of Suicide Squad. 
man, Henry Cavill's getting wrecked in this ranking. Sorry, Henry. <laughs> All of his movies are terrible. He's coming back, though, Casey. Get ready. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see where his sequel comes. Okay, moving on. We have three more movies to talk about. We don't have to spend nearly as much time chatting about these, but we can, uh, you know, do what we will here. So the next one we want to talk about is a movie you got a chance to see. I did not, mm. but I've heard nothing but great things, and that is a movie starring our girl, Viola Davis. She is no longer standing on the other side of that fence with snot coming out of her nose, yelling at Denzel. She is now (laughs) out in the, what, the African brush with uh, spears fighting an army. That's the movie The Woman. With Tiana Paris. The Woman King, Kaysen, with Tiana. What's going on with this movie? The Woman King. Uh, This movie's awesome, Keenan. 100% would recommend. I definitely was underestimating it going into it. Um amazing action sequences i think the choreography of some of these battles are incredible i think the way that they use the combat with the like women warriors in the movie is incredibly creative and very cool uh yeah and i think the performances are really good like overall the plot of the movie is not something that's really going to stick with you but i think one of the reasons i like this movie a lot is because it felt almost like a throwback plot where they didn't try and overcomplicate it they didn't try and make it too crazy it was pretty much just like hey this is about kind of a training arc where we're going to follow these younger girls who are joining this like group of women who are kind of the defenders of this whole kingdom in Africa. And then Viola Davis is kind of like the older, hardened mentor character that like, you know, is rough around the edges, but she's like been through a lot and she sees a lot of herself in the new trainee. And I feel like that just combined with the visuals, the performances and the action just come together to make a really, really fantastic movie. So nothing super special, but definitely high quality enough that I would recommend anybody go see it. I think it's a crowd pleaser. I feel like anyone would like it. I love it. I will 100% watch this as soon as I can rent it. Uh, I'm very interested. Yeah, especially after hearing your review. I don't really have too too much like follow-up. I mean, it sounds just like a really... pardon me, it sounds like a really good time. Uh, I did hear a little bit of controversy just around the historical accuracy and the idea that this tribe was partaking in the slave trade. So like, I don't really know if you have too much to say about that or like how they handle that in the movie, but uh, did you find that to be an issue at all or was that not? Yeah, I, I almost feel like there's an overblown amount of drama around this movie. I feel like the movie is very like, apolitical almost or i guess i guess i would say the only statements it really makes are obvious to anyone with any kind of moral compass i would say so i don't really get what the controversy is about i guess people are saying the actual tribe that it's based off of was not nearly as like benevolent and heroic as they're made out to be in the movie but i don't know to me it's kind of like whatever like you know we don't we probably don't really know exactly what was going on behind the scenes and of course it's like a very fictionalized account that isn't you know it's not like they're taking like nazi germany and saying like oh these guys actually weren't so bad it's like you know i i I don't know that's my opinion but no i just i hear you i don't think i don't think that would bother me at all uh but just wanted to throw it out there that it is a thing yeah I have heard that too. That's The Woman King, uh, a much better film than The Man Queen, which I actually, I I saw this on Cinemax the other night and it wasn't what I thought it was. So, um, (laughs) I, that's pretty funny. Yeah. uh, (laughs) 
<laughs> anyway, yeah, quick, quick Freddie Mercury. Quickly, quickly moving on. Casein, uh, <laughs> another movie we're going to talk about just dropped on HBO Max today. Yes, that is a movie you got to see in theaters, and I was so hyped to watch it, and I just snuck it in right yes. in time for the podcast, oh, so we can both talk. So about excited! This. this is a much buzzed about, much hyped about horror movie called Barbarian. Um, I'm going to, as wow. always, I'm going to let you take it away. You saw this first in theaters. You hyped it up to mm-hmm. me and said it was the real deal. Um, thoughts on Barbarian before I tell you if I agree or disagree. <laughs> Keenan, I cannot wait to hear your thoughts on this, but I will say, I remember after I came out of the theater telling you that I thought the first half of this movie was some of the best tension building I have ever seen in a movie. I was 100% in i was fascinated i was disturbed i was on the edge of my seat they explore i mean to give a brief context the movie is essentially about this woman who books an airbnb goes to the house only to find that there's another man already staying there that and it's essentially been double booked and then unsettling things begin to happen in the house and you are like what is going on and I thought this was phenomenal for the first half. The second half, I will say I appreciate and respect the amount of boldness they had to take this movie in a really weird direction. Um, For me, it didn't work nearly as well as the first half. I almost wish they had left it more subtle and left more up to the imagination, but it almost turned into kind of more of like a horror comedy in a way to me where it was just so goofy and over the top it's like still entertaining but definitely kind of lowered my opinion of it a little bit unfortunately so I walked away from this being happy that I saw it I really like it but not quite on the level that I was hoping it would be after that first half yeah the the second half turned a little bit more into like a Sam Raimi vibe whereas the the first half I don't want to say like Ari Aster but like the first half was much more like that kind of tension and horror and suspense that is like, uh, I don't want to say elevated, but you know what I mean? Just like very mm-hmm. well done and like, um, and well built. Yeah. So here's my thoughts. I, for the most part, agree with you. I love the setup. I love this premise, like genius premise. This actually reminds me of a movie that, uh, I saw and talked about on our previous episode. And I think you got to see as well called fresh. Where oh, yeah. they take a scenario that is very um, kind of seems mundane and, and normal and basic on the surface, and then they just start picking away at it, and you just watch with bated breath, like what is going to happen. And the really interesting thing, and something that I love about this movie, Barbarian, it almost, uh, without spoiling anything, it kind of uh, does the opposite of what Fresh did. And this this is a perfect example of why I think going in blind is so essential. They kind of yes. they kind of string you along, making you think one thing. And I'll tell you what, when you find out that's not the case, it was a legit moment, Kason, where my mouth was open, dude. Like <laughs> literally yeah. a a gap, if that's the right word. Just staring, yeah. not believing what I was seeing. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy, crazy stuff. So I yep. I really like that. I think the second half, so you're right. The first half, fantastic. It's it's not, I feel like you might be overselling the 
scares? I, I know you didn't really mention scares specifically. No, but- I, I don't think it's scary. I just, uh, it's almost like the absence. And see, this is where like, I don't want to spoil anything, but it's almost like for the entire first half, you're like waiting for something to happen. Like fresh, you know I mean? like fresh. And it's just, yes, exactly. But, but in a more like immediate scary way to me where like I kept thinking there was going to be some jump scare you know what I mean or like something was going to like come out of a door or something and I was literally just like clutching the seat like what is going on and then as it keeps going into that part which I won't spoil but where essentially the girl starts to like find more things around the house and like open doors and stuff I was just like like my brain was exploding you know what I mean I was like what is happening like what is going to be the scenario here, and I just thought it was so well, like built up and elevated, and, and cre- kept me guessing, and, and just and creepy, and just like the the set design for what she finds is very creepy. Um, yes, totally. So yeah, anyway, I, I agree. Sorry, go ahead. Really love the first half. The second half was still good, but I feel like there was just too many. Um, I don't want to say like illogical, but like too many kind of goofy things that happen outside of yeah. the Sam Raimi like weirdness, which I was digging. I was like, this is this is crazy um but but like a lot of like uh questionable things happening like our main character who i really love this actress she was so good in the movie um but she like does something that makes no sense where i guess they try to explain it away where like the cop like you know i don't want to spoil anything but like where she can't really get the help she needs and so she kind of takes matters into her own hands. And to me, mm-hmm. it felt very unearned. Like, I don't feel like this very logical, smart character would ever do something like this. And yeah. that was a little bit, um, t- took me out of it. And then also there are some moments where s- people should clearly be dead and they're not. And it's just like a little too unbelievable even given even given what's happening it's kind of like i don't like being faked out that many times because i feel like it happens a couple times where they're like they want you to think that you know something catastrophic happened and it did not sure i agree Uh, yeah i mean yeah i agree um but yeah i really liked it and i like the format too i like the fact that they would kind of uh end on these horrific scenes and then flesh to kind of another part of the story maybe taking place in an entirely different state to like show you kind of how all these pieces come together they bring a totally separate character into the movie about halfway through i wanted to ask did you like that did you like you know did you like that total sidetrack kind of bringing things together like that or would you have rather they just kind of stayed with the scary stuff no i love because <laughs> that was like a long detour you know i loved it character. i loved it okay. Be- because i i don't think it just for the type of viewer i am i don't think that that would have worked in the situation that the girl was in i don't think that situation would have worked like for an entire movie so sure, i almost sure. think the fact they were kind of flashing around and we just got kind of the glimpses and hints of what was going on um worked better than just spending the whole movie in this environment yeah, that makes sense. Anyway, overall, I really liked it. I would put this probably on the same level as something like Fresh. As far as just my enjoyment of it, it was yeah. great. Um, and I look forward to the director. I don't have his name in front of me, but I think he's uh, relatively new to the horror world. And I he's one of those guys, like, keep your eye on him. Yeah, totally. Just because he's so obviously bold. <laughs> Definitely check this out. Really intriguing. Uh, a lot of tension and a lot of gnarly gore. Oh my gosh, we haven't mentioned the gore, but there is some gore in this movie that's really cool. Uh, that's yep. called Barbarian, and that is on HBO Max right now. 
Nice. Case and last movie we're going to talk about is not even really a movie. It is some kind of weird hybrid television episode film Marvel <laughs> Disney Plus special that is called Werewolf by Night, an MCU entry from our boy, Michael Giacchino, who is normally impressing us with his beautiful orchestral sounds, but in Werewolf by Night, he's impressing us with his behind-the-camera skills. What did you think of Werewolf by Night, a black-and-white, 55-minute-long, um, I guess, throwback monster creature feature that is on Disney Plus right yeah. now? Yeah, I would say above all else, I think most importantly... Uh, Giacchino absolutely crushes it. I want to see this guy direct more things. I think he demonstrated his talent. The music is amazing. The camera work is amazing. The shot setup is amazing. Um, definitely top notch as far as that goes. The whole thing, I really liked it. Like definitely, um, I would say upper half of Marvel content. The biggest problem for me really is just that it was too short Almost made it seem a little bit more like inconsequential, but there's some great action in this. There's some great like, you know, low key horror. I mean, it's not going to be super scary to anybody that likes more common types of horror movies. But uh, as far as like how far Marvel could dip their toe into the horror well, I thought this was really effective. I really liked all the performances. I thought it was kind of a fun concept. And so, yeah, it's something not super memorable, but definitely worth watching. Yeah, man, I, I really enjoyed this too. We're not going to rank this just because I don't even really know like how we would like, you know, it doesn't yeah, seem fair to compare it to, but, uh, I thought Giacchino did an amazing job. Like you said, first time director, it's really impressive stuff. I think the thing that I took away from this is that they really committed to that black and white, like monster movie vibe. And I thought yeah. it completely worked. It felt believable. It didn't feel like, um, they were kind of doing an impression of that. It felt very genuine. And I also thought this movie had a lot of like, I hate saying this because it sounds so cheesy and cliche, but it had a lot of heart. Like the <laughs> the what was going on with the monster and kind of the reveal of his relationship with our main character. It was so yeah. good, dude. It was like yeah. one of those moments that when you kind of see the the little plot twist and stuff, it made me feel like good. Like, oh, this is the type of like Marvel stuff that they do so well. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, I so I, I really like that. And I like how that kind of balanced out the more extreme for the MCU anyway, um, kind of violence and like fight scenes and stuff like that. But uh, yeah, overall, really good, but just too short to be anything like crazy memorable, but maybe something fun to revisit like once a year around Halloween time because it definitely lends itself to the Halloween vibes. Yeah, for sure. I agree. Um, did you, you obviously got a chance to see the Guardians of the Galaxy trailer that just came out? I did. Yeah, special. man. I, think, what do you think of that? I think it will be good. I mean, it looks kind of just like exactly <laughs> how you would imagine. I think the, honestly, the biggest draw for me is just seeing the Guardians on Earth. Like yes, that's exactly, that's really funny. And that's like a funny idea. And I like that we're going to get to uh, explore that a little bit. It kind of makes me wonder how much star Lord is even going to be in the movie because it almost, or the show was special, whatever it is, because it kind of looks like he's maybe sidelined. And then like the other characters are more of the focus. Yeah. It almost looks like it's going to be mostly Drax and Mantis. Which is interesting, um, but I, I would be down for that. I mean, they're kind of a fun set of characters. I just think with the Guardians, it's almost like foolproof. Like, it would be very hard to, like, mess them up as long as, yeah. you know, you have Especially enough. Especially when you got Kevin Bacon in there playing, playing yeah. himself. <laughs> it, it's going to be it's gonna be a great ride, dude. I, I look forward to it. 
Yeah. Anyway, so Werewolf by Night, check it out. That's on Disney Plus right now. Kaysen, one thing before we move on to the television shows we've been watching, I did not want to forget to mention, and I did, and I just thought of it uh, a little bit ago, but with Black Adam, I know we've passed our time on that movie, but I got to circle back. His intro in the movie, when they first introduce Black Adam and he's in the cave and we've seen that in the trailer when he kind of unloads with like his lightning and and escapes the Mm -hmm. cave and stuff. Oh man. Incredible sequence. I wanted to give a special (laughs) shout out to that. It was such an amazing intro to the character. I compared it to like the stupid man's version of the Batman with Robert Pattinson and how I was like (laughs) so hyped on that intro and was like, this is how you introduce your hero. This was exactly the same thing with Black Adam, just like the, you know, Mountain Dew chugging Dorito eating teenage version of that. Yeah, totally. They really did a great job of being like, we need to make his intro epic let's make this 10 minute scene that people are going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm in. Yeah. I thought that was a great scene. I mean, definitely not nearly as good as the Batman to me, but I agree. Hell it was, no, it yeah. was memorable for sure. Anyway, black Adam shout out. Okay. Case. And let's move on to the world of television. Oh my gosh, dude. There's case. there's so many heavy hitters and big things to talk about. I don't even know how we're going to cover all this. <laughs> we're going to have to do our best, man. Let's do this. I want to start off with the, with the the lesser thans that we can just quickly get, you know throw away. Um, okay. A lot of people are going to want us to talk about the Rings of Power, the most expensive television show ever made on Amazon Prime, and we're going to, but briefly, because I think you watched three episodes, I watched two episodes, and I don't have very strong feelings either way. I, I think a lot of people are either trying to hate this movie or hate the show or heap a lot of praise on it and to me it kind of exists in the middle where it was impressive visually um i thought it looked like the money was well spent and to me not being super familiar with you know not being a diehard lord of the rings fan it looked like it belonged in that world just visually i did not think this looked like a tv show like trying to be lord of the rings it looked amazing but the characters in the story at least a couple episodes, and I know that's only a couple episodes, but just were so vanilla and bland and forgettable. It had absolutely no hooks in me whatsoever. Like I forgot the show existed until each and every week when I would see the new episode kind of pop up and, you know, people talking about it online. But that's all I have to say about Rings of Power. I agree. Um, it Just thinking about it kind of makes me think about TV in general. Like I, I like the show. I think it was genuinely good. Like you said, I watched three episodes. Um, it's something that I might finish. I do know people that really, really liked it. Like after finishing the whole season. Um, but I think right now the TV landscape is just so insanely competitive, like more so than it has ever been before. I think the budgets are out of control. The quantity is obviously ridiculous. Like, there's more shows coming out than in history. And I just think that if you're making a Lord of the Rings show with a huge budget, it just needs to be better. Like, that's pretty much all I can say. Which seems aggressive, because like I said, I genuinely did like it, but it's like, nowadays a 7 out of 10 is just not good enough, you know? (laughs) Like, for people to devote 8 hours to watching, so... That's kind of my thought. And it sucks, man, because even in the first couple episodes, it's like they have these little moments of like creativity and charm and like the little Hobbit girls. I really like them. And like, there are these really like cute moments, you know what I mean? That fit in with kind of the whimsical like nature of Lord of the Rings and stuff. And you can tell there's care. I don't feel like this didn't feel like a 
heartless like cash grab. You know, yeah. it's it's just the story to me in a lot of the characters I wasn't vibing with. And again, maybe I would. Maybe I would if I finished the season, but uh we'll see if I ever get there. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I might give it another chance, but probably when there's like nothing else coming out, you know, <laughs> to watch for a little while. That's exactly right. Case and next Did up, they greenlight season 2 of this already? Uh I believe so. Yes, know? I'm almost okay. positive. Yes. Gotcha. All right. Case and next up we're going to talk about something you did not get a chance to see, but I ah. watched all 10 episodes. That Whoa. is our boy Mike Flanagan's new Netflix horror series, The Midnight Club. Now, wow. we were gigantic fans of The Haunting of Hill House. Incredible. Haunting of Bly Manor, very good. Uh, <laughs> Midnight Mass, incredible. Maybe my favorite thing he's put out last year. And now uh-huh. we get to The Midnight Club. Now, when I saw the trailers for this and I heard about what this was based on, a series of books, I believe, um, I was worried because this has a lot of teenage characters, primarily all teenage characters, and <laughs> it looked very young adult like we've maybe seen this 67,000 times, Kason. Mm-hmm. But I thought, you know what? My boy, Mike Flanagan, he's not going to let us down. He's not going to cave no in to the Netflix trash that we've seen time and time again. <clears throat> Please tell me it's true, Keenan. <laughs> well, Kason, after 10 episodes, <clears throat> I'm here oh, to report. This show sucks. No, are you serious? Case and I hate this show. I absolutely oh my God. hate it. I hate it, dude. I it, That's so sad. You told me it was good after the first episode. <laughs> it was. The first couple episodes were not bad. I, I can't it was good. It was good. I don't want to lie and pretend that I'm like, you know, it, it was the by far the first few episodes are the strongest. Like no question. Okay. Because that has the most I mean, I don't know if it's because Flanagan directed them, but it has the most like horror elements and the most Flanagan touches where you can feel his handprints like on the content. But okay. Dude, I know I'm going to, I fully admit I'm coming across too harsh. And so I, I, all these statements, I I know, I know that, but I actively hated this show and I, I, it was such a chore, such a chore to get through. This is the textbook definition of like forcing yourself to finish watching something. Wow. Like, like it's. Okay, there's so many problems that I don't even know where to begin, and I'm not going to get into all of them, especially because you haven't seen it, so I, I don't want to like you know spoil anything or spend too much time on it. But this suffers from all the problems that Netflix is known for. Number one, these episodes are too long. This is ridiculous. Hmm. Stop making 59-minute episodes. It's yeah. too long. The same exact, and, and I mean, Ozark was, Ozark, you could say, lended itself more to that episode length. But a show like this, good Lord, it's like every <laughs> episode, dude, feels like you're watching, you know, Titanic. Yeah, yeah. It's like, what <laughs> is this? Is this ever going to yeah. end? And <laughs> the problem is, dude, so that's one problem. Episode length, get out of here. And that's probably a small problem. Number two, this is the most... And I hate saying this because of the Flanagan thing, dude, but this is the most cliched, stereotypical teenage garbage you can possibly imagine. It is like every character by the end of this show, with the exception of, I shouldn't say every character, there's, there's a few that I still ended up liking by the end. But most of these characters are so grating and annoying and talk like... 37 year old you know harvard 
educated, like, mm-hmm. you know, scholars that wear turtlenecks and smoke pipes. It's like yeah. no teenager talks like this. And, yeah. and I know this is a Flanagan thing to have his character's monologue, but it does not work here. I mean, imagine, uh, I'm trying to think of something that you could be like, oh yeah, that's terrible. Okay. Imagine the end of Wonder <laughs> Woman 1984 when Gal Gadot oh, no. is giving her voiceover about how we all need oh. to like unify and find peace and harmony and stuff. Yeah. But imagine every episode has like 12 moments like that gotcha. where, and it's coming from a 17 year old girl. Yeah. It's garbage, dude. It's garbage. The main character is incredibly annoying. Incredibly annoying. I think at first I liked her because she is a good actress. And she's somebody you can imagine when she walked into the casting room, they were like, oh, she's a superstar. Like, she's so, like... Uh, she has the look and she, you know, she's really, uh, like she has that look and she's just a good actress, but her vibe is so off-putting. She's like this, uh, I don't know, like almost overconfident character that always tries to be like the coolest kid in the room and like have Hmm. everything under control and like always give these long winded cornball monologues about like the power of friendship and stuff. It's terrible, dude. Terrible. She's like Mike from Stranger Things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but much worse. Um, another problem the the it the show, it, like the the story they're setting up, literally, and I, I I'm not exaggerating, does not make sense. It goes <laughs> absolutely nowhere, nowhere. There are like things they talk about, like here's a creepy old man in the mirror. Here's a weird old woman that keeps appearing to these kids in the hallway. Sometimes our main character walks into the hallway and it looks like it's the 1940s for for no reason. And they never explain any of it. Hmm. In fact, in the finale, they don't even revisit this in any capacity. It's almost like these things are just thrown into the show and there's no payoff or explanation for what is happening. Weird. Very okay. weird. Very weird coming from Flanagan. I couldn't believe it. I don't know if he has a season two plan where he's going to go into this, but like so bizarre that all of these scares are absolutely pointless to like the show in like entirely pointless. You know, it's huh. very weird. Yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Um, wow. So disappointing follow up from Midnight Mass, it sounds like. Anyway, I don't need to keep going into it, but yeah, it's, is it, uh, I'm railing against it. Is it, it scary at all? Like, do you feel like the vibe is similar at least with the great camera work and like, you know, the the tension? No, not at all. I think there okay. are a few moments and again, mainly in the earlier episodes where there are some genuine scares um, and you, maybe again because Flanagan directed, uh, but overall, no, especially in the later episodes, all of, and there's very few moments when he's even trying to scare you, but like all of those come across is very generic, very like watered down, um, like you're watching, you know, a teen horror movie from 2002. Gotcha. Gotcha. It's weird, man. I really did not want to say this because I love Flanagan. I still do. And I still have confidence in him. But this was a huge misfire. And I would avoid this at all. I would never watch this because if you know what I'm talking about, like that teen Netflix cringe vibe, this is that personified. Huh. Wow. Well, that's disappointing, dude, but I'm glad you saved me from watching it. Yeah. Sorry, Kason. Uh, I tried to get that <laughs> off my chest. I was excited to it's get okay. that off my chest. Yeah, it's okay. That's unfortunate. Kason, let's move on to some better territory. Holy hell. I, this is what the people have been waiting for. We've been getting 
uh, we uh, like at least three of our fans and listeners wrote in asking about our thoughts on this, and we're going to talk about it right now. <laughs> Good. Case in House of the Dragon. Let's go. Are you ready? Uh, I have never been less ready in my life, but let's do it. <laughs> There's so much to cover. Where do you even begin with a show like this? House of the Dragon just wrapped up on Sunday, um, a couple days from when we're recording this, a couple days ago. Uh, man, oh man, 10 episodes. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts, even though I already know them. This is obviously coming <laughs> off of the absolute stank fest that was season eight of Game of Thrones. One of the worst seasons um, in television history. I think we can all unanimously agree on that. How mm-hmm. was this world going to bounce back? Was House of the Dragon, which is a sick ass name, was it going <laughs> to revive the franchise or was this going to be the nail in the coffin? Dude, what's up with House of the Dragon? What are your thoughts on season one? Drop it on me. Dude, I uh, I don't think I ever would have imagined that this first season would be as good as it was. I really just think that I went in with very middling expectations. I kind of expected it to be mediocre, honestly, kind of more like Rings of Power ended up being to me. I thought it was going to be like, oh, this is like kind of, you know, cool to see Game of Thrones again, but like, I don't really care about any of this. And it's funny because the first episode of the season, I really, really liked. And I remember talking about it with you and we were like, it is so cool to be back in this world again. It's cool to be getting to know these characters again. Like I'm really into this. Then we got about episode like three and four, you know, whatever. And I was still into it. I was like, I like this show. It's a little bit slow. You know, there's some like weird time jumps that I don't feel super connected to the characters. Matt Smith is really cool, but whatever. Now, dude, flash forward to the finale. I am all in. I feel like the last I feel like the last 4 episodes of this season, they just planted their feet and said, "Here we are. We are turning this thing up to 9,000." Uh I am invested in the characters. I'm invested in the story. I think the visuals are amazing. I think the performances are amazing. Uh and I just trust the showrunners at this point. I'm like they know what they're doing. And they are giving us some A-plus quality television on the screen here. So I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's probably my favorite show of the year so far. Yeah, I think my, uh, well, I don't, I don't know if that's true, uh, but we'll get into that maybe with the next yeah. show we talk about. But uh, I don't want to put thoughts into your mind, Kaysen, but we're going to talk okay. about something else that might compete for the <laughs> throne. Um Kaysen, here's the thing with House of the Dragon. Uh, I think my biggest fear going into this, was this going to feel like cosplaying Game of Thrones? Was it going to feel like people dressing up and pretending to be in that world, but it came across inauthentic and crappy? After the first episode, I told you I was just so happy. I was so relieved because you watched that first episode and while we didn't know too much at the time where things were headed, it just felt so good to see the product on the screen and know that it like was high quality. It was not season eight levels of Game of Thrones. It felt like... It just it felt, wasn't just a total cash in, like a cash grab. Exactly. Like, yeah, you could tell from the jump this is something special. And now that we've wrapped the season, it really was something special. This was a yeah. fantastic first season. I think my biggest takeaway, the word I would use to describe this is consistency. Like mm-hmm. this whole season has just been consistently great. I don't really think there were any like monumental highs where you would point at like this episode or this moment or this thing as being like, 
oh, like this was crazy, you know, but yeah. th- it was just consistently great. They, they slowly t- built the story. They took their time developing the characters. Like we say, it is always about characters, 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 and they nailed them. I mean, you take a character like Matt Smith's Damon in the first couple episodes, he seems like this total, like, you know, wild card rogue guy who's just out slaughtering people and, and going to be kind of that Jamie Lannister, but like mixed with, you know, a psychopath, like the guy that they, they want to be the flashy, like look over here guy. Yep. And it's cool because as the season progressed, I feel like he really didn't become that. They almost no. like went against expectations and kind of toned him down a little bit. And it's almost like those first couple episodes existed just to show us what's under the surface and what he's mm-hmm. capable of. Like yep. he is unpredictable, but he's not so unpredictable that he feels like this gimmick every episode where they're like, oh, look at wacky Damon, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Who, what's what crazy thing is he going to do this time? Yeah. And I really like that. And I mean, dude, we could talk about we don't we're not going to talk about all the characters, but I want to give a huge shout out to both uh, the younger and older version of Renaria, who yep. was just fantastic. I mean, both versions. What a great character, dude. I mean, come on. Amazing character, Amazing. dude. Amazing character. I and, I and I'm telling you, the way season one ended, we're not going to spoil anything. But this entire thing felt like a prologue. It really felt like they laid all the groundwork in season one, and now, the end of the season, this is where the real story jumps off. You know, we have all the players, all the pieces on the board, we feel like we know everyone, we know their relationships, now we're getting into the mud. Dude, there are, I mean, there are just so many good performances on this show. Like, I mean, like you said, Emma D'Arcy is old, Rhaenyra's, or Rhaenyra, um... The dude who plays Aemon Targaryen. Oh my gosh, oh. they couldn't have picked a better looking person. Psychopath, dude. Incredible. Patty Considine is King oh. Viserys, I think, is the standout probably of the season. He is just a legend. I mean, I feel like he really does deserve an Oscar. <laughs> Honestly. Especially that last episode he was in. Oh my yeah. gosh, man. Incredible performance. Incredible. Really good stuff. And dude, I want to give a shout out to Alicent, who is yes. um, the queen. Yep. She is so good. I, I wasn't really vibing as much with her younger version, mainly just Agreed. because she didn't have a lot to do. It didn't feel like she just kind of existed. Um, but man, oh man, um, Olivia Cook, who I loved from Bates Motel, she uh-huh. is playing the older Allison and what a great character. Like, yep. it's almost like they want you to think at first she might have a little Cersei in her, Cersei Lannister from Game of yep. Thrones, but she doesn't. She's like, uh, a variation of that. Like you can tell she's been kind of corrupted and weathered down just from her job as queen, but she is a good person and she does care about people. Um, and it's like, it's going to be really fascinating to see her juggle that. Whereas you kind of felt like someone like Cersei was more just a straight up like power hungry witch, you know? Yep. Totally. Totally. Um, yeah, dude, I think, I think her dad, Otto Hightower is also an amazing character. Really, really great performance from him as well. 
Um, and just even some of the random, I mean, we already talked about Matt Smith, obviously he's amazing, but even like Corlys and Rhaenys Valerion, right? Like the, the random kind of side characters are like really good and they both have their moments to do some really cool stuff. So yep. I just think they have a great, great setup for season two. And I agree with you. It's almost like a mixed picture of, I really did love this season, but I almost loved it equally as much just because of what seems to be coming. And I think they set it up phenomenally. Yeah. And the, and the thing I want to say too, is that I think is really special about this show and something we're going to talk about actually, uh, coming up next, I think too, but this show does such a phenomenal job of obviously having the DNA of game of Thrones, but it does not feel like you're watching game of Thrones. Yeah. Like yep. the the way the episodes play out and mainly like the focus of the ep- like the show in general like the focus of the entire season it feels way more um like intimate in smaller scale than Game of Thrones which was very sprawling and all over the place maybe we'll get to that point in this show but the first season really almost felt more like a like you could imagine it playing out as like a stage production yeah, I think um, I, I know other people have commented on this too, but it feels like they took what they found success in with Succession, the show, which I know you haven't watched, but it feels like that. Like it's very similar to where they are just zoned in on this one family and all the drama going on with them and their scheming and everything. And it's just kind of wrapped in the Game of Thrones layer. Yeah. And it's funny because those first few episodes, like we were kind of just waiting for like the big epic, like, oh, when are they going to, when is like, they're going to expand. And it like never really does, you know, it's, it's kind of cool. It's like, oh, I guess that's just how this show is. And I'm vibing with it. I I like the, the tighter focus. So yeah. And I I think it will in season two, right? Because it seems like now they're getting to the point where they need to get everyone else sort of involved in this situation. But yep. Yep. Yeah. I love it. House of the Dragon, you nailed it. Definitely one of my favorite things I've watched this year. And again, like even more so than just loving the show, I'm so happy for the show. I'm just so happy that <laughs> the quality is there and we don't have to keep thinking about season eight of uh, Game of Thrones. Keenan, what do you think of the dragons themselves? You think they're going to have the budget to keep these things rolling on high quality? They have to, man. There's no other choice. You can't, you can't uh, give us what we saw this season, which I thought looked great, and then yeah. you know uh, regress to like PlayStation Two graphics. We got to keep it up, dude. I agree. I guess I just wonder if they will like up the budget for subsequent seasons because it seems like they'll need a lot more action you know set pieces type things yeah we'll see we'll see we will see i can't wait hopefully uh there's rumors we're gonna have to wait like a year and a half i hope that's not no (laughs) we'll come on hbo house of the dragon killing it case and let's move on we're gonna talk about another prequel show oh my lord dude i (laughs) like this is really something we can't spend too much time talking about or we will be here until three in the morning forever yeah exactly um we got a chance to wrap up better call saul the prequel to Breaking Bad, a show that began, I believe, in 2015. Jeez Louise. Yeah. Time yeah. flies. And uh, it just wrapped up this last year, or I guess how, like, it was like months ago, right? Just a couple months ago? August? Yes. Yep. Season six, dude, it's over. Better, better Call Saul is, I'm going to toss it to you, but I will make the statement off the jump because I want to be dramatic. <laughs> okay. This is easily, now we dropped it, we dropped an episode in season one, our top 10 television dramas of all time. 
Yep. To me, this show is without question, dude, top five. Now, from there, I'd have to start, like, narrowing it down. Like, where am yeah. I going to put this? Um, I do not think it is an exaggeration in any way to say that this show is as good as Breaking Bad. I'm oh, not yeah. saying everyone's going to agree with that, but I do think it is well within reason to say that. I think you could genuinely say this is a better show than Breaking Bad. <laughs> yeah, as crazy um, as that sounds, man, I agree. What are your thoughts? I know I talked longer than I was supposed to, but what's up, dude? What's going on with Bob Odenkirk, heart attack man, better call Saul? <laughs> uh, yeah, you're absolutely right, Keenan. This is one of the greatest television shows ever made. Uh, it cements Vince Gilligan as one of the greatest creators of television ever in history. I cannot believe he put out two shows, Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul, both of which are just the pinnacle of storytelling. Um, I mean, just to continue heaping praise on it, I think it's incredible to see a show like this with clearly not a high budget, right? They are not relying on special effects. They are not relying on action. They are not relying on even gimmicks, really, right? Like, there's no hook. There's nothing to be like, please come watch me at all, except for just the fact that they are so confident in the story they're telling and so confident in their characters, dude, that it's just compelling. It's just like, you have to buckle up for the ride. I would say the first, you know... Two seasons are definitely much slower than Breaking Bad ever was in the entire runtime, but it is so worth it if you just have a little patience and trust them and enjoy the antics of uh, Saul Goodman at the time, Jimmy McGill. Um, It just all pays off, man. This last season was something else. I feel like they stuck the landing. I love the two-part separated nature of it. Um, I think the mid-season finale is one of the best episodes ever um, of anything, and I was just on the edge of my seat the whole time. Uh, I mean, I I don't even know what to say. I guess the main thing I'll, I'll kind of leave as a takeaway is this is a prime example of a character study, really two character studies, I would say. Saul Goodman, Kim Wexler, caught in an eternal spiral around each other. <laughs> are they are they good for each other? Are they bad for each other? What is inherent within them and what is learned? What is enabled? Um, it asks a lot of incredible questions about just the nature of people, but very specifically about these two made-up people. And I can't believe that I cared about them so much, but I was very emotionally invested in everything that was happening in this season. So that's all I'll say. I think in the same way that we rooted for Walter White because he was the underdog. He was the high school science teacher that should have been, you know, leading his own, uh, you know, science or like science company. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And you saw him as kind of this, uh, underappreciated, undervalued man. So when he started doing these things that were, immoral, illegal, you still rooted for him because you felt like he had been wronged. So you wanted to see him get that upper hand and almost like turn things around his own way. You felt like he deserved it. And then what they did so genius and so, so brilliantly in Breaking Bad was slowly flipping that on its head. And they didn't stop. They didn't stop when he was at the top and he achieved everything. They're like, what if he keeps going? 
you know? And in the same way, Better Call Saul does such a magnificent job with Jimmy McGill, who eventually becomes Saul Goodman. He is, you feel like he's undervalued, underappreciated. He has this very tumultuous relationship with his older brother, Chuck, who is a very with it guy smart guy, best lawyer ever. And Jimmy is living in his shadow. And Jimmy's kind of this, uh, what would you say? Like clown almost like he's not respected. And to see this journey he goes on is so incredible. And I think honestly, I actually like this character of Jimmy McGill, Saul Goodman more than even Walter White, because Mm -hmm. He's so likable and so entertaining and funny, and he just has such a scrappy attitude. Every episode, he's getting into some kind of like situation, hijinks, whatever, that (laughs) you are rooting for him, you know? And when it starts, just like Breaking Bad, towards the end of this series, when it starts getting real and you start seeing the ramifications for his actions, it's so heartbreaking because you're like, you feel like you know him. You feel like he's your friend and you're like, no, like, don't do that. No, like, you know, I don't want this to happen to you or I don't want you to make this decision and you feel so connected to him as a person. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah, I I just can't, I mean, it's one of those things, I just can't heap enough praise on it. Um, And Vince Gilligan, like, what more can you say? You watch this show and all you can think about is like, why can't everyone do this? Yeah, like, seriously. why can't people take their time, flesh out characters, make them likable, believable, conflicted? He makes it seem so effortless. And it's just, yeah, it's like you can't believe a show like this exists along with other crap, bottom of the barrel stuff. It's like, man, they're not even trying, you know, and this show is the yeah. peak trying. I think just to reiterate it again, like this show is probably the most patient show I've ever seen, honestly. I think, I just don't think other TV shows are willing to put in the time like this to develop characters and play the long game over six seasons. Um, It's really not a very flashy show. Like there are memorable moments, but there's not that many scenes that are like big, explosive, twisty, violent, you know. It's very much just about Jimmy sort of weaseling his way around through life and having very personal interactions and betrayals with, like, singular other characters. But, you know, for it's really not till the end of the show that there's, like, this immense tension and sense of danger. And so I think that, uh, I think that it's, <laughs> it's the type of thing where it seems like there's a lot of filler, but really, if you step back and look at it, there's, like, no filler. <laughs> it's like every single thing that happens is just feeding into the character of Jimmy McGill. And it's like all of it is important and all of it just fleshes out his character even more. Yeah, and they do such a phenomenal job. Again, going back to the Breaking Bad comparison, you look at Walter White and he was an outsider and he existed in this world with all these really high-level cartel guys and really like badass street-level guys and you always rooted for him because he was kind of this outsider and you, you know, you felt like, he didn't belong, but he was doing everything he could to belong. And right. the same exact thing with Jimmy, and maybe even more so. They do such a good job of painting him as kind of this looked down at guy who is so like talented, but nobody really cares or appreciates it. And he's surrounded by these like stuffy uh, lawyer types 
who you just constantly want to see him get the better of. Right. Whether it's his brother, you know, other lawyers he has beef with. It's just so cool because he's always like the odd man out. So it always creates this atmosphere of like, oh yeah, like I want to see him go Jimmy McGill <laughs> and, yeah. and, you know, break the tension with like a one-liner or just like doing something so uncharacteristic that they're not used to, uh, but it works for him. It's just so easy to root for this guy. Yeah, man. And I feel like they play so well with the idea of that incredibly thin line between what is like satisfying retribution and what is like too far, you know, and where you're like, all of a sudden you start to feel like, oh, like, I don't know, you know, if like I'm enjoying this or if this is like, you know, a little bit actually too much. And it's like, how do you figure that out from the character's perspective? And uh, I think that's a really cool aspect of Jimmy is like, they constantly have you feeling like he thinks that other people think that they're better than him and you're you can't really tell if other people actually do think they're better than him or if it's more like a complex that he has you know what i mean that's like his own insecurity feeding into all this and it makes it all really complicated uh yeah yeah i mean just in addition to that i just want to give a huge shout out to Rhea seahorn i think she's a standout here i think she steps up right up to the plate along with uh, Jimmy McGill with Bob Odenkirk. And uh, I think she is going to have a huge career because she is phenomenal on the show. I love that shout out. I want to say two more things uh, that I got to say, and then we'll move on from Better Call Saul. Um, Going into the show, we were thinking this is kind of a more lightweight show that will be entertaining because it will fill in some gaps in Breaking Bad. And it always kept going back to like, oh, how's it going to connect to Breaking Bad? Like, how's it going to connect to Breaking Bad? And now that the show is wrapped, I think you can almost look at it as such a juggernaut and such a titan of a show that you can make the argument that Better Call Saul is the show and Breaking Breaking Bad was the show that kind of not filled in things from Better Call Saul, but almost like existed, you know, beside it and kind of, uh, you know, let Better Call Saul lead the way. Yeah, totally. Totally. Uh, And the second, so, I mean, that's amazing on its own. The second thing I want to say, and I think the more fascinating thing, when this show started, I know I was guilty of this, the first few seasons, actually, all I kept wondering is, when is Saul Goodman showing up? Like, when is (laughs) Jimmy McGill going to drop the name get out the colorful suits and go full Saul Goodman. And something this show did, maybe it's most genius bit of writing in, in, in narrative choice. Mm-hmm. The moment when he becomes truly Saul Goodman is one of the most painful to watch scenes of the entire series. <laughs> yeah. It's almost like, you know, Gilligan and the other writers are sitting in this room knowing people are craving Saul Goodman and they're like, oh, we're going to give you Saul Goodman, but you're, (laughs) but you are going to be begging for Jimmy McGill to come back. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, also quick shout out to the end of the entire show, just the way it all wraps up. Absolutely genius. Um, very dark, very heartbreaking stuff that just leaves you so much to like think about and ponder. They end it on such a fantastic note that is uh, 80% heartbreaking, 20% hopeful. And yeah. I love that. I will be thinking about it and I will be making up my own future for these characters. <laughs> Sometimes I honestly still think about it and get kind of sad. <laughs> but, amazing. I mean, that, that's, that's the mark of a good show. 
It's perfect. Better call Saul. Everybody watch this ASAP. Um, it's the real deal. Kaysen, Kenan, I'm gonna- would, you, would you tell people to watch this even if they have not seen Breaking Bad? Uh, yes, I would. Yes, I would. Absolutely. Okay. I gotcha. would. I think both shows, um, are greatly benefited by watching the other one. I'll say that. Yeah, I agree. But, but I, yes. I kind of think you could watch them in any, either order almost. Well, it'd probably make more sense to watch Breaking Bad first, honestly. But, it probably would yeah. just because there are some really cool cameos and some really cool references that if you know Breaking Bad, you'll be like, that's that's cool. Whereas if you right. don't, you'll just see some characters show up and be like, I, I don't know who that is, but you're still going to have a great time. So Yeah, for sure. Anyway, Kaysen, can you imagine a world where you haven't seen either of these shows and you have all of this content you could get through having never seen any of it? That is, I'm envious of those people. <laughs> to be able to watch both these shows for the first time again, I can't even, can't even. Oh my it. God. Anyway, Let's just give uh, a quick shout out to Gilligan's upcoming paranormal drama starring Rhea Seahorn. <laughs> on, there's, uh, can't believe that's happening. I don't even know what to say. I, I really don't. Like that's, it's like if someone reached into my mind and pulled out <laughs> my dreams, dude. I know. Vince I Gilligan know is the creator and showrunner of Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul is making a paranormal drama series with friggin' Kim Wexler from Better Call Saul. Are you kidding me right now? I know, I know. It's pretty unbeatable. Oh my gosh, my body is ready. Um, Kaysen, I want to talk real quick about something before we move on to our final show. I want to talk about okay. a Disney Plus series that a lot of people are hyped on. You have not checked it out, but I've been telling you to. That is Andor. Uh, Cassian a, Andor. Cassian Andor. Um, it is It is a Star Wars product. I'm sorry. I know we promised we'd never Please talk no. about Star Wars again after uh, <laughs> no one's ever really gone. Um, yeah. But we're back. I'm going to talk about Andor because this show is fantastic. It is not over. It has not wrapped. I have seen the seven episodes that are available. And I can tell you this show is without a doubt the best thing that has ever aired on Disney+. Plus. I wow, would almost... Okay. I would almost say like it's not even close. Um, in the best way I can describe Andor, and you'll know what I'm talking about if you watch a lot of Disney Plus content. <clears throat> this show feels like an actual show. It feels <laughs> <laughs> it feels like a show with depth and characters and writing and like we just talked about with Better Call Saul, pacing where they actually like take their time. It's mm-hmm. so hilarious to me to see a few of like the people out there online throwing out the words slow and boring. Yeah. Because to me, it's like, look, I, everybody, you know, to each their own, but this is like, come on. This is only slow and boring if you've literally never watched a show outside of Disney plus type content. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is amazing stuff. The characters are fantastic. The writing is genuinely good. And the look of the show. Oh my lord, dude. Kason, I gotta say it again, 900th time, but man, they filmed on location and <laughs> it is gorgeous. There are no weird green screens. They're not using that like Boba Fett technology where they're in a, you know, Sears filming uh, oh, yeah. in some the big round screen. Exactly. This is the real deal. There are stunning landscapes. I mean, just them walking across these mountains and valleys and deserts and stuff. It is awesome. It looks so good. It looks similar to Rogue One, which obviously huh. this is a prequel show. Um, So I got to give big props to it. The sixth episode is 
phenomenal. Um, 10 out of 10. Amazing stuff. Really big spectacle episode. It's a heist that is happening where they are trying to uh, break into a very uh, highly guarded military base and steal some stuff. And it is fantastic. And the cool thing is, I don't want to spoil too much, but they're doing it on this planet that looks like Iceland or like Norway, like very Mm -hmm. mountainous and gorgeous. And on this planet, once every three years, there is this like celestial event, almost like the Aurora, Aurora Borealis. And it's these insane neon comets that are just flying through the air. And they're using that as kind of their cover to like do this heist. Oh, that's cool. So you can only imagine, you know, like all of the chaos and beauty that is coming with this heist as the, you know, sky behind them is just exploding in color. It is so visually striking. So I want to give a shout out to that. But the other cool thing. This is a 12-episode series, so they actually have time to build the story and build the characters, and so far, they're doing a great job with that. So shout out to Andor. Um, I don't know if you have anything you want to say about it, Kaysen, but I I do encourage everyone, even if you weren't really vibing with uh, other Star Wars stuff, to watch this. It is better than Mandalorian. I said it. (laughs) I have two questions, Keenan. So this is better than any of the Marvel shows, you're saying? Yes, it is. Yep. Okay. (laughs) <laughs> and uh second question do you need to be at all into star wars or know anything about what's going on to like the show uh not at all no this show has a i've seen other people say this so i don't want to pretend this is an original idea but i totally agree especially the first few episodes the show has a very like interesting blade runner vibe where huh, okay a lot of the tech they're using kind of has that like dated look to it where it's like still advanced, but like kind of old looking and just like the cities they're walking around in and just the, the houses they go into it, It's hard to explain, but it has a very strong Blade Runner vibe. Um, there's okay. also a character who is like the antagonist in the show so far. He is so much like a Dale Cooper from Twin Peaks. Um, He looks like Kyle MacLachlan, the actor, and he kind of acts like Dale Cooper, where he's this very, like, by the book, I want to get things done the right way. I'm leading, like, my little squad, and he's so fascinating. It goes back to the writing and these characters having depth, because instead of being this one-note guy, like, they follow him home, and they show his relationship with his mother, and they show how he's actually this kind of, like, weakling little sniveling coward you know and like has all these problems but then he wants to be like the man and it's just it's cool man it's just like all the characters have depth and and they're well written so andor peep it did you have another question case uh no those were both that's cool i will check it out for sure yep based on that review i think you will vibe with it uh let's move on to the final thing of the evening how's that sound That sounds good to me, Keenan, because it's pretty hard to top this one. You know what I'm saying? Man alive, this show, Kaysen, I can't wait to (laughs) chat with you out loud about this because this show is, people have a lot of thoughts, dude. I think this is going to be the hardest one to rank, honestly. We're going to wrap it up with a little show you might have heard of called She-Hulk. Jennifer Walters. That's right, Kaysen. Men are trash. They're trying to keep the women of L.A. down in the lawyer scene, in the dating scene. Can't a girl just walk down the sidewalk without getting oh catcalled and whistled at? 
I don't know. We're going to address all this right now, Case. And let's talk about She-Hulk. Uh, I have a lot of thoughts. I know you do as well. And then we are going to give it the definitive ranking treatment in our uh, Marvel shows list. So, what What is that character's name from the third episode that's like the best part of the whole show? I'm trying to remember her, oh, her uh, name. Uh, it's like Mar- uh, Marilyn or... Ma- uh, uh, I can't remember. Oh, well, anyway. Yeah. It's not Mallory, is it? Something like that. Something like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I'll figure it out by the end of the okay. thing. Okay. Cason, She-Hulk. Uh, Madison. I, Madison. Madison, there we go. Should I turn With it two, over to you? Two or? whys, but they're not where you think. Um, Yeah, turn it over to me. Give it to me. I thought this show was... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on. We should preface this by saying, and you know, listeners of the show will know this. We talked a lot about this show leading up to it because it looked incredibly questionable in terms of in, questionable in terms of CGI. Uh, so let's start there, maybe. Uh, <laughs> Here, what did I'll, you? Let me, uh, the CGI was okay. It wasn't as bad as I thought. There were some what? good CGI moments. There were some bad CGI moments. In the end, I feel like it didn't really matter. Like the CGI was like secondary to the show's quality. I don't know. Okay, we got, it's not Steve, like, we got we got Stevie Wonder over here co-hosting <laughs> with me tonight, talking about it's it. not like there was even very much action in the show. I guess I'll just say this: I liked the show. I think it is probably the most inconsequential Marvel show, and I almost feel like that makes me like it more. Because I think if it was trying to be more consequential, I would think it was terrible. (laughs) But just because it was sort of a lighthearted diversion that I expected nothing from, I enjoyed the episodes each week. Um, I thought there were funny moments. I thought some of the characters were charming. I really liked Tatiana uh, Maslany's performance. And I liked the cameos in it. I loved Madison in that one episode. I thought she was great. And I appreciated the meta twist of the finale. So overall, it's going to be hard to rank because it's just nothing like any other Marvel product that they've made. So I don't even know what to say about it, but it was okay. I would say it was just very middle of the road to me. That's where I'm coming down. Yeah, I I have a lot of thoughts on She-Hulk. I think you, you made some good points. I'll start off by saying this. The first episode of this show, to me, was absolutely (laughs) god-awful. I really did not like this first episode. It it started off on such a bad note. It felt too much like it was trying to be MCU content, and I did not like that because I went in thinking it was going to be something totally different, and I remember watching this first episode and just being like, oh, this just felt like an unfunny Marvel product. Like it didn't feel like unique enough to where I really got the vibe of like what they were going for. Not to mention, I know this is a very talked about scene. I'm sorry we have to bring it up. But there was just an incredibly awkward, clunky, and pretty cringe scene of uh, Jennifer Walters talking to her cousin Bruce about the trials and tribulations of being a female and uh, how she has to you know, control her emotions every day and she's had it so bad. And she said, that's why, uh, something like you'll never understand like I do. And I made the point to you, she's talking to Bruce Banner, a guy who has witnessed and been a part of the most traumatic cosmic world altering events you can possibly imagine. And a guy who lived in exile and tried to kill himself, might I remind you, because (laughs) of his curse with, uh, you know, the the radiation. So 
I understand what they were trying to get at, but having her monologue like that to Bruce of all people felt really off to me. And it just, to me, it did not put her character on a, like a good trajectory to where I was rooting for her. But as the show went along, I really fell in love with Tatiana Maslany. She was so good in the lead role. I found her charming. I did find her genuinely funny. I feel like her and her friend, I can't think of her name, but were great together. Really funny dynamics. And I think part of the problem with this show, it invited hate. So the thing is, just by existing every week, people would just pick it apart to the ninth degree, trying to find reasons to hate it mm-hmm. instead of just kind of accepting it for what it is. Yeah. It's not great. It's just an enjoyable, fluffy romp. <laughs> you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. doesn't need to be dissected. Like we don't need to go into every line of dialogue of like, oh, well, it's kind of funny that Jennifer's saying this about men, but two episodes ago she said this about men. And yeah, it's just yeah. like, oh, who cares? Just give yeah. it a rest. You know what I mean? It's it's uh it was too overanalyzed. And yeah, I found myself every week going in expecting to hate it, but every week I was pleasantly surprised. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Oh, I, I think I actually kinda like this show. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, I think it just goes back to once you once you accept the show for what it is, it's much more enjoyable than trying to pick it apart for what it's not. Yeah, totally. I will say um, this show had horrible CGI, absolutely unacceptable. And I was one of the biggest defenders who I think I was more in your position saying, ah, it's not that big of a deal. Like, what do you expect her to look like? But some of the Hulk CGI for Jennifer Walters was very bad and very distracting to me where it just took me out of whatever was happening. So that's a big problem that I think they need to clean up if there is a season two. And the other thing is, I just feel like the show ultimately was not funny or unique enough. Yeah, There were... Every episode, you got glimpses and glimmers of what could be. Like, oh, that was so funny. Like, why don't they lean into more of that? Or like, oh, I really like how she just broke the fourth wall and like talked to the audience. Why don't they lean more into that? But instead, it was so few and far between that it was almost like just finding little gold nuggets in a pile of, you know, brown rice. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a good way of putting it. Uh, but yeah, I did love the finale, um, and I know that's a, another very polarizing episode. I thought it was incredibly clever, um, and I've never seen anything like it in the MCU. It was the most meta they've ever been, and I thought it was genuinely uh, smart. <laughs> you know, like I just yeah. really liked all of the stuff that was happening and, and kind of how it broke down the show as a whole and audience expectations. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. Um, but yeah, anything else you have to say about She-Hulk? Let's talk about Daredevil real quick. What did you think of, uh, Matt Murdock's return to the MCU? People are excited, or I guess I should say debut in the MCU. He was good. Um, but I mean, I didn't really think much of it. I am not like, you know, the biggest Matt Murdock fanatic on the planet, not because I didn't like him at all, but I just feel like other people are like, for some reason, obsessed with this character and this actor. Um, I really like the Daredevil Netflix shows, but I just... 
acknowledge that I am not on the same level of fan as some of the other people out there. Um, I thought he was good, though. I, he was entertaining. I think he's a good in the role. Yeah. What did you I, think? See my, see, my thing is, because this show was so goofy and comedy-focused and kind of, like, questionable writing, I was concerned they were going to butcher Matt Murdock's character and basically lean too hard into the goofy MCU-ish vibes as opposed to what he was on the Netflix show. But I think they did a great job of balancing that out. He was definitely funnier. He was definitely quippier. But like Charlie Cox is such a fantastic actor that he maintained that level of kind of like quiet intrigue that Matt Murdock has. Even his line delivery, the way he spoke, it felt like Daredevil. You know, yeah, like, yeah. yeah, and I thought his chemistry with Jennifer Walters was fantastic. Like, I think they should continue that. I really like want to see them together uh, in the future. So that was a highlight in the brief action sequences that we saw Daredevil in. I thought it was awesome. They maintained his his kind of brutality in the way that he beats ass. Mm-hmm. So I hope they carry that over to the uh, his upcoming Netflix or Disney Plus show. Um, so overall, I was very happy with Matt Murdock and uh lukewarm on the show itself but uh again some highs and some lows yeah let's rank this thing and get out of here case and how does that sound sounds good let's do it the current ranking the definitive ranking hollywood week ranking of the mcu disney plus shows are as follows number seven what if what if <laughs> what this if? show was memorable <laughs> uh number six moon knight that's a hippopotamus Kason. number f- <laughs> number five Ms. Marvel, <laughs> now on on Disney oh, on gosh. Disney Kids, starring Brenda Song <laughs> and Miley Cyrus. Oh my gosh! Uh, number four, Falcon in the Winter Soldier. Please tell me more about race relations, Anthony Mackie, <laughs> for, in a twenty minute monologue at the end of the show. Uh, number three, <laughs> number three, Hawkeye. Is Jeremy Renner awake for any of this show? <laughs> Number number two, Loki. I don't have anything quippy to say about Loki. Do you have anything oh, for me? Oh, man. No, I can't think of anything. Number two, Loki, who's making out with himself. <laughs> oh, gosh. Number one, WandaVision, uh, a show that we like and I don't want to criticize. There we go. That's respectful. <laughs> Perfect. Okay, that's the definitive ranking as it stands. Case and where are we going to put She-Hulk? What a tough one, man. This is a tough one, but now that I look at it, I don't feel that conflicted. Um I think it should be either above or below Ms. Marvel. What do you think? Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, if you're going to go there, I thought you were going to say above or below Moon Knight. So I thought we were talking about possible second to last place for she. Oh, okay. I mean, we could, uh, I could be argued that Moon Knight is better, but I don't know. I just feel like they're both kind of losses. I feel like Moon Knight was just so like poorly executed. Yeah. Like, I don't know, man. I mean, I like Oscar Isaac. He crushed it in the role, but it's almost like. Moon Knight did have some cooler, more dramatic moments, though, with, like, the episode of him going back to his childhood and stuff, but I just feel like the culmination was so anticlimactic. I feel like Moon Knight, though, had a hippo. I really like that Moon Knight episode that was very, like, Indiana Jones-ish when they go into that, like, uh, pyramid and there's that, like, skeleton. I don't know. Moon Knight had cool stuff. I think I would put Moon Knight above She-Hulk. 
All right, I'm totally fine with and, that. And th- that's the weird thing. Like, I did not hate She-Hulk, you know, and I, I, I wouldn't say I even disliked it. I, yeah. I was pretty lukewarm on it. Um, I don't dislike any of the. Well, I kind of hate Ms. Marvel and Moon Knight for very specific reasons. But what? <laughs> well, you know what I mean. Like, I yeah, overall yeah. they had some good stuff, but there was just some stuff in them that I hate. I mean, most of these shows have that. Like, most of these shows, I don't think Marvel has fully nailed any of these shows. Yeah, I agree. All of them have things we can pick apart. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you're cool with it, I would put She-Hulk second to last place is the new number seven. I am cool with that. Number one, WandaVision. Number two, Loki. Number three, Hawkeye. Number four, Falcon and the Winter Soldier. Number five is Ms. Marvel. Number six is Moon Knight. Number seven is She-Hulk. And number eight is What If. That is the definitive ranking case in which we will revisit. What is the next show coming out? I'm trying to think. Uh, Do we even know? Is it Echo? Oh, gosh. When is that that coming out? Uh, um, I don't even know. Who gives a crap? Hey, what's up with Sasha Baron Cohen playing Mephisto? I've heard the rumors, dude. In Ironheart. Is that happening or what? Hey, he was so good in Luca that I hope he does that exact voice. (laughs) Uncle whatever. Uncle Uncle Fester. Yeah, Fester. Uh, I hope oh, he, man. dude. I hope that he shows up because that would be exciting. Um, we've been waiting too long for Mephisto, and instead we got Ralph Boner. <laughs> Classic, <laughs> dude. Holy hell, Gason. Oh, I, we're, we're not going to talk about this because now I'm in wrap up mode and I don't have the mental fortitude to go into. You got to talk about Dahmer, man. Totally forgot to talk about Dahmer. I just mentioned Ralph Jeffrey Boner, and that Dahmer. made me think. <laughs> How are you going to make me vote for Jeff Dahmer? <laughs> Come on, Jeffrey, you can do it. Here's the thing, dude. I'm gonna say straight up, this show was was legit fantastic. I do not wow. like Ryan. I do not like Ryan Murphy from his friggin' Glee days and his American Horror Story over excessive, overindulgent BS. But somehow he connected on this Dahmer show. This okay. was hyped, and I I really wanted to watch it, and I genuinely loved it. Um, it was fantastic as far as performances go um evan peters was amazing as jeffrey dahmer this is obviously not an easy role to play uh and he did such a great job of making him watchable every episode in a way where you didn't like sympathize for him but you also didn't like hate him you know what i mean yeah. It was an incredibly impressive balancing act where you could easily, and some of that's the writing as well, but you could easily imagine this being a thing where you're so repulsed by him, you're like, I don't even want to watch this anymore, you know? Yeah. And you can also imagine a thing where they really try to drive home like, oh, poor Jeff, like, you know, no, like his parents were absent and nobody loved him and he got picked on. And, and they do such a good job of like showing you very matter of fact things that happened to him and then just kind of being like, yeah, like that was sad, but it doesn't justify him being in, like a monster. Yeah, totally. Totally. And, but the reason you kind of sympathize a little bit is because he is fully aware and fully admits that something is like wrong with his brain. And he mentions this multiple times, like to his parents, to other people. And it's almost like this uh, addiction, this compulsive thing that he cannot control. And he has such a laid back, like Midwestern Wisconsin vibe. Like, yeah, you know, uh, so yeah, I guess that's what it's going to be. And he, so he keeps luring you as the audience into this like comfort level with him where he seems like just kind of this innocent type guy. 
Yeah. But then they always shock you with these moments of insanity where you're like, oh my gosh, I forgot we're watching Jeffrey Dahmer, you know? <laughs> yeah, I see. And they do a great job of not being too uh, exploitative with the content. It's like very implied, which I think is smart. Um, and, you know, when it needs to hit hard, it does, but it's not gratuitous where they just like kind of roll around in the filth of what he did. Yeah, yeah really focuses more on the victims and more on him and his family and just kind of the fallout of, of his actions and how it just affected everyone differently. Um, anyway, so it's a great show. It really is. I think it could have been trimmed down a few episodes. This probably should have been more like eight episodes versus 10, but, uh, still good stuff. I would recommend watching it if you're into like getting into the mind of a serial killer. (laughs) So you're watching or you're recommending that over uh, midnight club, huh? Casey, I'm mad. I'm, binge. I'm mad you brought up Midnight Club again because <laughs> sorry, get it out of your mind. Uh, yeah, I want you to imagine just like sweeping shots of like hallways and like sick kids coughing is like a voiceover for six minutes straight. Is like we don't always know which halls will wander down. That's some. That- some that sounds halls, like my daily life, Keenan. <laughs> some halls lead nowhere, but if we all unite together, and it's like, oh, please, God, please make that's, it stop. That's the morning announcements in the hospital every morning. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Dude, I think that I think you should talk to everyone like the Terminator and be like, "Come with me if you want to live." <laughs> From the emergency department, I probably will. Oh shit, Keenan, fun. Wh- what uh, what should the listeners be excited for in the next month? What are you looking forward to here? We got Thanks some black. Br- we got some Black Panther two coming Wakanda out. Forever. <laughs> I cannot hey, wait. Hey, we are dropping a full ranking and review episode of Black Panther: Wakanda Forever. Look out oh for that. Gosh. That's probably going to drop like uh, that movie drops. I think November eleventh. So whatever Correct. the following week is, we will be dropping that episode. Cannot wait. Both trailers got me pelvic thrusting and got me <laughs> shadow being, dude. And you know I'm going to be there opening night in full Wakanda garb. <laughs> Keenan, is there any way Michael B. Jordan is in this movie? Yes or no? Yes. Whoa! I am standing <laughs> okay. by. I am standing by my prediction that he could show up in a post-credit scene. Ah, okay. Okay, I like that. So my prediction for Wakanda Forever, we will get... Here's my two big predictions. Okay. We will get a... And one of these will happen in the movie. The other one will be a post-credit scene. We are going to get a glimpse of Michael B. Jordan's resurrected body. Okay. And we... As Killmonger, obviously. And we are going to get our first look at... um, Why am I blanking on this idiot's name from Fantastic Four? Uh, John Krasinski? Oh. No, no, no. What's his name? Doom? Yeah, Dr. Doom. Thank you. I kept, I'm playing Overwatch, so I kept wanting to say oh, Doomfist. Doomfist. <laughs> uh, yeah, we are going to get our first look at Dr. Doom. Is that his name or am I tripping out on That's that? his name. Yeah, Dr. Doom. Okay. Victor We're, Von Doom. Victor Von Doom. We're going to get our first look at Doom um, talking to Namor is my prediction. Why, why does he talk to Namor? Is that like a comic thing or something? Uh, I don't know. Don't worry about that. I just, that's what I'm predicting. So (laughs) you heard it here first. Killmonger's alive and so is Doom. He lives and we're going to see which actor is going to be portraying him. Okay. I'm excited about that. Um, but, but, and well, yeah, the other thing we're going to talk about in December, um, we are going to drop something very exciting. We have not dropped a ranking episode in quite a while. And I think the listeners deserve some, uh, some fresh rankings, Casey. Yes, definitely. 
In honor of Avatar Way of the Water, my number one most anticipated film of the year from legendary filmmaker James Cameron. Uh, obviously, we know the original Avatar is the highest grossing film of all time. It box office juggernaut. Yep. So in honor of such a feat and accomplishment, we are going to take the top 10 highest grossing films of all time and rank them one through 10. Amazing. Can't wait. There are some heavy hitters in there. It is going to be a fun ranking. I feel like I looked at this list like a week or so ago, and there's some that are very obviously top of the top, and there are some that are very obviously bottom of the bottom. Oh, yeah. I think I think some will be clear, but we'll have some good debate in there about some of the middle ones, I think. <laughs> it's going to be amazing. So look out for that in December, and uh, we might try to do something for Christmas as well. You never know. Uh, you never know. We got some- I hope... I hope we can do some kind of 1899 discussion, Keenan, at some point. That's what I want for this podcast. A spoiler breakdown of what happened in the show. Brand new Netflix series, 1899, that's coming from our boy. I think his name is Bo something. Bo Burnham. Oh, yeah, Yeah, Bo Bo Burnham. (laughs) He is the creator of Dark, one of the best sci-fi series of all time. He has a new show coming out called 1899, and we are hyped for it. But, Kaysen, I don't know if there's too many listeners who are vibing like that. But we'll see. Not yet. Anyway, Kaysen, any final thoughts before we wrap it up and say goodnight on this beautiful Halloween? Uh, That's all I got, man. I can't think of anything else. Let's, Let's go. do it, man. Let's exit through the gift shop, call it a night, and we'll uh, see you for Black Panther Wakanda forever. <laughs> that was pretty good. <laughs> all right, later. All right, later. Later.